believe God has a word for you. And uh, I believe that at the end of our time, we'll, we'll take a moment and really minister to you. And I believe you're going to leave changed. If you don't believe it, that's okay. I believe it for you. I believe there's some heaviness that's going to be lifted. I believe there's a, a struggle you couldn't make sense of that is going to be made sense of tonight. You're going to see it clearly. You're going to see it exactly for what it is, what God's doing in the middle of it. And, uh, and we're going to take time to, to minister to you, if, that, if that's all right with you. You all okay? You good and overflow in the room? Let me read a verse to you, then we'll pray and jump in. Genesis 41, 37 through 40. You can follow along on the screen. It says this. It's referring to Joseph. Joseph has come into the palace. He's about to be the prime minister of all of Egypt. He's interpreted a dream. He's, at, he's hitting the pinnacle of the moment. And he tells Pharaoh, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. It's going to be seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. And here's how we're going to prepare for the famine. And it says, the plans seem good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. He's getting a promotion. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only, listen to this, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. I want to bring a message to you entitled, A Strategy for Struggle. A Strategy for Struggle. Let's pray together. Father, we believe that your presence is in this place. And we believe anything is possible when that happens. And so do exactly what each individual needs done tonight in their heart, their life, their mind, their spirit. And may we never be the same because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, have a seat. Have a seat for a moment. Unless the preaching gets good, then you can jump back up if you feel like it. All right? Y'all good? Um, so I have a, I have a 14 year old, if you weren't here this morning, I have a 14 year old and, um, several years ago, about four years ago, um, we got a ping pong table in the basement of our houses in Virginia. We have basements. I don't know if basements are a thing in Las Vegas. I don't think they are, but we have basements in our house. And, um, so we, we got a ping pong table in the basement and the basement's kind of the part of the house that we built that when we built the house, I was like, babe, that's where we'll put all four of the kids and the toys and, and like. If it's, a, if it's a wreck, who cares? It's not in the norm living areas. Are y'all following me? So we got a basement, foosball, the whole thing down there. So we were playing ping pong, and I'm one of these dads that believe I should develop my son's character, so I beat him at any game I play, and then I mercilessly talk trash to him while I'm beating him. Are you following me? So he's like nine years old, and I'm trash-talking my... Probably says something about my psychology. I need counseling for it. But I'm trash-talking my nine-year-old, and so I'm beating him. So every day, all the time, he's like, I want to... At least he's got persistence. He's like, Dad, I want to play at ping-pong again. Okay, let's go downstairs. We want to play again, play again. And he just gets beat and beat and beat and, and beat, and then he gets... So he started playing with any friend that would come over, and then he started playing with any babysitter, like anybody he could get to play with him, he would play. He'd play with his mom. And so one day it had been like a month or so I hadn't played with him. He's like, dad, let's go play ping pong. We get down there and it's like five, three him. And I'm thinking in my head, all right, I've got to cheat. 
I can't lose. Come on, somebody. Dad can't lose, right? I'm just being honest. Y'all looking for a little more spiritual tonight, but I'm just being real with y'all. Like, I got to figure out how to win. But my mind, here's really what I started thinking about. I thought, I'm prepared to win. I'm always prepared to win. I got trash talk for that guy. Like, I will rub it in. I'll be like, hey, how's your ping pong game? Like, I'll wrestle him and win. Like, dad always wins. But I did not have a plan for when I lost. And I think that that's us in life, that we always have a plan to win. Like, I know what I'm going to do when I win. I know what I'm going to do when the blessing comes. I, I know what I'm going to do whenever God answers the prayer, when the door opens, when the thing opens up for me. And I'm not trying to preach us into a funeral after we've had such amazing worship. When you have like a dual threat quarterback, he can throw the ball and run. He can preach and sing. And I'm not trying to preach this, but I'm just wanting to know, do you have a strategy for struggle? Do you have a plan for when you lose? Do you have a plan for when it doesn't look like God is doing what you ask God to do? What, what about when the prayer doesn't seem to be getting the answer that you wanted the prayer to get? What do you do then? What do you do when 2020 hits? What do you do when you prayed it would work out one way, but they walked out anyways. What do you do when you wanted the financial breakthrough, but you're still in the middle of it not breaking through? What do you do when you are believing for something and you are not yet seeing that thing come to pass and you've been praying for a long time? I'm not talking about like this, this low level, can I, I'm, I'm guessing we, we're a little more mature than I. I'm not talking about this elementary level of Christianity where it's like, well, I prayed one time and nothing. I'm talking about what about when you've been praying for months for it, when you've been praying for years, like, like my dad prayed for his brother to come to faith in Christ for 40 years. What do you do when you're on year 20 and it's still, he's still an alcoholic when you're on year 30 and he's still not having anything to do with God. Do you have a strategy for that moment? Because I don't want you to be misled to think that if you just, if you put a praise on it, it's going to happen tomorrow. Sometimes it does, but sometimes God wants to do something in you in the struggle. And it's easy to celebrate the success and it's easy to admire the success, but you learn something in the struggle. Something is developed in the struggle that can't be developed in moments of success. Now, it may seem a little counterintuitive and like, man, the text that we read does not seem to be where we are going with this message. We just read that Joseph has hit the pinnacle of his moment. He is now becoming the prime minister of all of Egypt. He is becoming the one that is in charge of all of Pharaoh's affairs and of all of the income of the country. He is, he's the man, y'all. He's having a moment of success, but it's, it's, I don't think we get strategy in that. We can admire success, but I think we learn from his struggle. Because if you know your Bible, you know that this is not how it went down for Joseph. That, that we need to back up a little bit. Are, are y'all with me? Say amen. Let's rewind. Remember those tapes? Come on, anybody remember a tape? All right, all right, y'all with me. If you're younger than that, Google it. So, had things and you stick a pencil in it. You'd spin that pencil. Come on, somebody. That was called fast forward. That was called rewind. 
Let's back up on Joseph's story a little bit. Joseph is around somewhere 15, 16, 17 years old, and he has a vision. He has a dream that is from God. It's not just bad pizza the night before. It's a literal vision from God. And the vision is this, that all of his brothers will one day be bowing down before him. Now, Joseph lacked the maturity to understand that not everybody is always happy about your dream. And so he goes to his brothers and he thinks, well, they're going to be excited about this. And so he shares it with them. And the Bible says that his brothers became angry with him and they hated him. They already hated him. But I think the phrase the Old Testament uses is they hated him all the more. They hated him because his dad loved him and he was the favorite. He had a coat of many colors. If you've ever heard of that, Joseph and the technical, that's that Joseph. He had a coat of many colors that his dad gave him to show his affection for him. So they already hated him. Now they hated him all the more. But then Joseph had a second dream. And in this dream, not only were his brothers bowing before him, but his mom and dad were bowing before him. And so he, in his excitement and in his immaturity, went to his whole family, said, all y'all have something to share with all y'all. One day, all y'all are going to be bowing down before me. Here's what I found out about God is that whenever he gives you a picture into your future, often it is just a pulling back of the curtain. That, 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 that God will give you enough to get you start moving in the direction of it, but not all of it because it may scare the life out of you. If he pulled back the whole curtain, you may be like, no, 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 no. I ain't going down that road. If, if he pulled back all the struggle, if he pulled back and showed you all the pain, if he pulled back and showed you all the tears, if he had showed me on day one all the tears it would take to build the church that he's building through us, I may have said, no, 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 I'm going to work at the grocery store, God. I don't know if I want to deal with all these people. He'll just pull back the curtain, and that's what he did. To, just gave him a little picture of it. Everybody's bowing down, which was a correct picture. It just wasn't the whole picture. I think God will give you enough on your dream to get you moving in the direction of your dream, but not so much of your dream because he knows it would overwhelm you. And you maybe wouldn't begin to walk in faith and you wouldn't begin to speak it and you wouldn't begin to declare it and you wouldn't begin to tell people about it. Well, because Joseph shared this dream with his brothers, they hated him all the more and they devised a plan to put Joseph into a pit. They actually devised a plan to kill him, but his brother Reuben, who had enough sense about him and knew that it would break the heart of his father, he had enough sense to, to just say, put him in a pit and let's sell him into save slavery. Y'all thought y'all had sibling issues. You're like, maybe I'll go to Thanksgiving now. It doesn't seem as bad as what Joseph was going. I was thinking about skipping it this year. And so Joseph finds himself in a pit. I want to give you three thoughts from, from three moments in Joseph's life. Number one, the pit, I think, represents submission. You need a strategy for struggle. So what do you do when you find yourself in a struggle? Whatever the struggle may be, relational, purpose, identity, destiny, financial. What do you do when you find yourself in a struggle? Number one, I think the pit represents submission. If you're a note taker, write that down. If you're not, write that down. <laughs> I'm going to take that back to our church. Note takers or history makers. I love that. Joseph had to learn in the pit where he had no control of anything. He had to learn he had no control of anything. Are y'all with me? I think we, we like to live under the illusion of control. When really we have no control. 
but our growth in the journey, our, our ability to, to thrive in the struggle and to not just make it through the struggle is found in our ability to come to the realization that we are not in control. That God, nothing in my hands I brought into this world, nothing will I take out of this world. And so I live submitted. It's not a word that we like. It's, it's not a word that gets a shout, but it is a word that will grow your character. It is a word that'll help you thrive in the middle of the struggle to go, God, I submit to you. You are good and you are great and my life is not my own. And so in the middle of the struggle, I'm not going to fight against you. I'm going to submit to you. A lot of us think that we're in the middle of a struggle. I got to do something. I got to work. I got to try. I got to make the moves. I got to, I got to manipulate. And so we'll begin to try to manipulate this situation and get around this person. If I talk to them and if I could fix this and if I could just get them to meet them. And, and so we begin to try to play chess when God is just going, no, I just need you to do this. And when Joseph's in the pit, he can't climb out of it. He can't manipulate it. He can't call anybody. He can't depend on his network. He can't depend on his daddy. He can't depend on his financial wealth. God was taking him to a place where he didn't need to think that Pharaoh could supply for him. He needed to learn, no, God, you're my supply. God, you are my gyra. Well, we have, we, in our, in our, where I live in Fredericksburg, it's a bedroom community of Washington, D.C., which basically means it's a little town. <laughs> they try to, you know, that's probably what realtors try to do to like make it look sexy. No, it's just a small town. And the one mall we have, yes, the one mall, which isn't any good. They put a roundabout at the entrance. So you come into the mall and they put a roundabout and nobody in Virginia knows how to ride, drive a roundabout. I think they all should have had to re-up their driver's license and take a roundabout course because some of them have never left that town and it drives me absolutely nuts. And so you get to the roundabout and they're like, no, you go. No, no, it's my turn. No, I'm, I'm supposed to. I don't know how there hadn't been like 12 accidents. Are y'all following me out the roundabout? Because in the roundabout, the people that are coming in, you have to yield to them. You have to give them the right away to go, no, no, you go first. Are you following me? This is what happens in submission. It is a yielding to God. God, I yield to you. Here's why I think most of us don't like this idea of submitting to God is because we like control. Can I be honest though? The other reason is because we don't trust. If I trusted that when God spoke to me about miracle offering, that he would be faithful to do what he said he would do, then I'd have no problem with joy coming in. Are you following me? And I think in Psalms 23, David gives us a great apologetic or a great reason as to why we can trust him. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How could David say I shall not want because he himself was a shepherd? And you may know this, but he understood that it was the shepherd's job to take care of the sheep. It was the shepherd's job actually to make sure that the wool on the sheep was great wool that could be shaved off and sold for a great price. Most shepherds in the Old Testament time did not own their sheep. They were watching the sheep for somebody else. And so their income was based, are y'all following me? 
I know we're going a little Bible nerd for a moment. Their income was based on their reputation as one that could take care of the sheep. This is why Jesus said the, the good shepherd will leave the 99 and go find the one. Why? Because the, the, uh, the integrity of the shepherd, it could not spread around the community. Don't give to that shepherd. They lose sheep. And so this is why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And David said, he says, he is uh, in Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What is he doing? He's given us a metaphor to help us understand that we have a great shepherd who has never lost a sheep. We have a great shepherd who can be trusted. We have a great shepherd that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Not only do we have a good shepherd who keeps his promises, but we have a good shepherd who comes through, fulfills, and has never let down on one of his promises promises. So I should have no problem in the middle of the struggle. God, I don't like it. I don't understand it. I can't see the end from the beginning. I don't know why I'm in this place, but I'm submitted because I've got a great shepherd. And I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, but when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. I can't even see. I don't know if you've been in such the middle of the struggle that you feel upside down. It feels foggy. And you go, I can't even see God in the middle of this. I don't know why I'm in the pit right now. But I'm surrendered. Because I know you've got good plans for me. I know you want to prosper me and not to harm me. I know you're a good shepherd. I know you prepare a table before me in the press. I can have enemies all around me and pull up and eat. You know why I love that metaphor so much? Because I don't know about you, but I'm, if I get real nervous or scared, I can't eat. Matter of fact, I heard a, a clinical psychologist say once that you can control your mind when it comes to stress, but you cannot control how stress affects your body. That's why mentally you can feel like everything's fine, but your digestive system is all messed up when you're under stress because you, you can separate the two. You can get mind control, but you cannot affect how it physically affects your body. I love that David says, I got such peace because of my shepherd that while everything is chaotic around me, I can pull up and have a filet mignon. That's what I would. I believe that's what God's serving. Are y'all with me? So I think the pit represents submission. What do I do in the struggle? I submit. I submit. God, I submit to you. God, I submit to your word. I'm not going to try to manipulate this. I'm not going to try to figure this out myself. I'm not going to try to make sure that I'm not going to try to position myself in the right. I'm going to submit. God, what do you say? Where do you want me to go? I'm going to yield to you, God. I'm going to yield my will. I'm going to yield my desire. I'm going to yield my plan. That's how Joseph made it through the struggle. And so then Joseph is sold into slavery and then from that caravan, they take him and they sell him into Potiphar's house. So now he's been sold twice. But he's got a dream that everybody's bound to him. <laughs> Don't look like my dream. <laughs> you ever looked at your current situation and go? <laughs> Don't look like what I thought. 
This is where Joseph is, and, and he's sold into Potiphar's house. And, and here's what's amazing is every stage he went through, the Bible says, but the hand of the Lord was on Joseph. But God was with Joseph everywhere he went. And in Potiphar's house, he rose to prominence. And so he went from being a slave to being over all of Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife had a thing for Joseph. She thought he was attractive. And so she would continually go after him. Have y'all read this in the Bible? She would continually go after him and Joseph would continually resist because he was a person of integrity even in the middle of struggle. And so he would continually resist until one day she so went after him, she grabbed his cloak and he ripped away from her and ran out and servants ran in and she said, he tried to take advantage of me. And so Potiphar takes him because Potiphar works in the king's palace and throws him into prison. I, I think this represents staying faithful. Staying faithful. I'm, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how quickly, let me say it this way. I'm amazed at what it takes to make people quit. I don't think that your greatness is dictated by how much you can accomplish. I think it's dictated by how much it takes to make you quit. What does it take to make you throw in the towel? That determines your level of greatness. What does it take to make you... Well, I mean, they didn't... Nobody told me thank you for greeting at the door, so I just quit greeting. What? Really? Really? I don't think, I don't, they didn't, they didn't notice my gift. So, stop going to that church. Really? We're quitting over that? Are y'all following me? Like, we're quitting over that? Really? I'm amazed by that. Potiphar, Joseph finds himself in Potiphar's house being falsely accused for something he did not do and thrown in prison because he was falsely accused, because he was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to live with character and he was trying to live with integrity. And in the middle of it, he stays faithful. In the middle of accusation, in the middle of trying to do the right thing and all the wrong things. If Joseph lived in 2021, he would be like, that's over, God, I'm done. You have not blessed me. I haven't, got on, I haven't got any platform time, God. No one's noticed my gift, God. No one wrote me a thank you note. Is this too much? But, it, but he stayed faithful. Because here's the deal. Joseph could have quit. And this is what I want you to understand. Is that the struggle you face is not as much after you as it is after the word that God gave you. So if Joseph had have quit, Joseph never would have went to the palace. If Joseph had never went to the palace, then all of Israel had never been saved. Joseph wouldn't have quit on the vision of his brothers bowing down to him. He would have quit on the word that God gave him. And Israel needed the result of the word that God gave him. Are you following me? 
This is why it's so important that you stay faithful in the middle of whatever you are walking through. It's because there is a word God has planted on the inside of you, and the word is often not just about you. It's about how that word is going to impact the people around you. Whenever God gives you a word, it's not about you. If you got a dream that is about you, it is a pipe dream. But if you got a dream that will bless others, it is a God dream. And the struggle is not coming after you. It's coming after the word that God has put on the inside of you because that word is needed in the earth to bless somebody around you. Are you following me? Let me prove it to you. Joshua, be strong and courageous. For the Lord is with you. Joshua, how many times does he tell him at the beginning of Joshua? I'm reminding you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because you are going to come up against some walls that are high. And you're going to come up against some, some people that are going to look over the walls and be like, what are those idiots doing marching around? Once a day, every day. And, and, and Joshua, I'm going to ask you to do some things that seem crazy. Get up. This is how we're going to fight our battles. All right, everybody come back tomorrow. We'll do the same thing. That's a great leadership moment. I imagine next news is like, I mean, we didn't like Moses, but this guy? He's lost his mind. But Joseph stayed faithful every day for six days. Seven days, on, seven times on the final day. The wall didn't fall until they completed the seventh round. It's so important you stay faithful in the middle of the struggle. But pastor, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm hurting. Let me tell you. And this may not be popular. Show up anyways. Are you with me? But I'm walking through hell right now. Serve anyways. But I don't really feel like lifting my hands. I don't care. Get them up anyways. Are you following me? You just keep staying faithful and staying faithful and staying. I think it confounds the enemy when we walk up in. We've been walking through hell and we come in and go, faithful you are. I think he's like, what in the world? I've thrown hell at them all week and they still walk up in here. What he's knowing is the seed of that word he's trying to uproot, but if you'll stay faithful, the word will stay planted and it will produce some fruit in you. If you'll stay faithful, Joshua, keep marching. Joseph, keep living with integrity. When they accuse you, when they do you dirty, keep staying faithful to what God has said. It's a strategy for your struggle. So he finds himself in prison. The Bible says that when he went to the prison, that he rose to a place of prominence because the hand of the Lord was with him. I thought the hand of the Lord was only with me when everything was going up and to the right. No, the hand of the Lord was with him in the pit. The hand of the Lord was with him in Potiphar's house. The hand of the Lord was with him in the prison. 
So he goes to the prison and he becomes head of the prison. And Pharaoh is a wacky leader. He got mad at his cupbearer and his bread maker. And the cupbearer was the one that would drink the wine before the Pharaoh tasted it to make sure no one had tried to poison it to kill him. How would you like that job? No, I ain't signing up for that. And so he put them in, and Joseph interprets, they, they each have a dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. He's like, one of them, you're going to die, and the other one, you're going to get rehired. Sorry, that's, what, that's the news. And, and so he finds, himself, he finds himself in the prison, interpreted these dreams, and he says to the two guys, he says, he says when you leave, don't forget me. And if you read the text in Genesis, it's really sad. It goes, and they... They got taken out of prison. Pharaoh recalled them. And, and what Joseph said would happen, would ha- happened. One died, one lived, and he got rehired. And it says, and they forgot about Joseph. Man, that's a hard place to be. When you feel like God and everybody else has forgotten about you. But one day, <laughs> one day, Pharaoh has a dream that none of the sorcerers and none of the dream interpreters, none of the people that work for him could interpret. And, and they go, oh, wait, wait. I remember this guy in jail. Two years later, y'all. Two years later, I remember this guy in jail that could interpret a dream. Let's call him. So they clean him up, get him a shower, shave him, put him in some nice clothes. And they bring him before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him the dream. He says, I see, I see these cows that are just fat and happy, and then I see these ones that are like emaciated and die. And he goes, oh, that's easy. He said, you're going to have seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine, and you should prepare for the seven years of prosperity. And then that's where we, we entered the story. Wow. And Pharaoh said, who in all of the area has, like the spirit of God is on this man. Yeah. And Joseph steps in to the palace 15 years after his dream. Watch this. To serve somebody else's dream. Let me ask you this. Number three represents service. Can you serve someone else's dream with all your heart when your dream hasn't come to pass yet? It's a strategy for struggle. While you're waiting on yours to come to pass, can you serve somebody else's? Joseph serves his, and then seven years of prosperity happen. Can I have the worship team come up and help me? I'm getting near the end. How about this worship team? Good. Wow. Unbelievable. So seven years of prosperity. Are you with me? Seven years, Joseph is serving his dream, storing up grain, storing up things, putting things away, making sure the nation is all good for seven years, 15 years, 15 years of struggle, y'all, 15 years of in the pit, 15 years of in Potiphar's house, 15 years, 15 years from the time he had his dream, most scholars believe till, till this moment when he's standing before Pharaoh and now he's seven years of prosperity. So seven years on top of the 15, he's preparing for it. Then seven years of famine come. Seven years of famine come, and when the famine hits, everybody in the surrounding regions begin to come because they hear that there is a man named Joseph that Pharaoh has who has prepared Egypt for this moment. 
And so Joseph's dad says to his brothers, go to Pharaoh and see if we can't get some grain because they've prepared for it. Well, guess who they've got to go see to get some grain? And they walk into the room, but they do not recognize that it is their brother Joseph, but they bow before him. And the Bible says Joseph is so overwhelmed that he leaves the room because his dream became reality. And he does some things where he kind of plays with them to see his younger brother. And it's a funny little story. You should read it. But he eventually reveals it to him and listen to what he says. He said, what, basically, what you meant for evil, God used me to save many lives. Now watch this. Here's what I want you to see. Is that all along, it could have looked like God was pushing against Joseph and pushing against his destiny. But all along, God was pulling him towards his destiny. Because the dream interpreter, Joseph, when Pharaoh needed an interpreter, he called on Joseph. And Joseph interpreted the dream. And because he interpreted the dream, Egypt was able to prepare in the seven years of prosperity. And, and because they were able to prepare in the seven years of prosperity, they were ready for the seven years of famine. Whenever Joseph's brother would come to the palace and need him in that moment, and they would bow down to him. And that's the moment that his dream became reality. And Joseph didn't know that because God only pulls back the curtain on your dream. Because if he were to show you the whole process it takes to prepare you for your dream, because he needed little immature teenage Joseph to know what it was to live with submission and know what it is to stay faithful. He needed to know, Pharaoh, I'm not impressed with you and I'm not dependent on you because I've learned over 15 years that I depend on something that's greater than you. They needed a confident leader. But watch this. If Joseph had never been put in the pit, he never would have been sold into slavery. And if he'd never been sold into slavery, he never would have ended up in Potiphar's house. And if he'd never been falsely accused, he never would have ended up in the prison. And if he'd never ended up in the prison, he never would have found himself in front of Pharaoh interpreting the dream. I'm trying to show you that God wasn't pushing against him. God was pulling him the whole time. And I don't know what it is that you're facing. I don't know what struggle you're walking through where you think, God, why are you pushing against me? God, why are you keeping me from my destiny? I've come to declare over you that God is pulling you and he's pulling you and he's pulling you to the fulfillment of your dream. And if you quit in the struggle, oh God, if you quit in the struggle, you'll never find yourself in Pharaoh's palace going, this was what it was about all the time. I thought it was about my brothers bowing to me, but it was about saving a nation. I thought it was just about that job I wanted, but it was about God giving me something more than that. I thought it was just that relationship thing, God, but God was doing something so bigger. I'm telling you, if you're in the middle of the struggle and God has pulled back the curtain, he has a much bigger story. But if you don't stay faithful, can you submit? Can you stay faithful? Can you serve somebody else's dream while you're waiting on yours to come to pass? It's a strategy for struggle. We stand with me all across the room. This may be out of the norm, and uh, 
I got permission. I just feel like there's some people that are really going through struggle. You're here, you're in the overflow. And I just believe that that perspective is shifting, that, that God's given you a different way to see it, that a fresh faith is being built in you tonight, but we wanna pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer. Nothing of eternal value happens apart from prayer. And so if you're in the, we're not gonna wait, it may just be one or two people, I'm not trying to manipulate anything, but if that's you, you're in a struggle, I just want you to come to the front, just right now, just come. You can come through from the overflow, but you're in a struggle. If that's you, just make your way. Quickly, quickly, we're not gonna belabor the moment. But that's you, you're in the overflow, come on in the door. We're just gonna pray, we're gonna believe that, that something in your perspective, I'm not saying that you're gonna get to the palace tonight. I don't, I don't know that tomorrow will be the moment that Pharaoh calls you up and the dream becomes reality. Let's just make room for people. If you could all the way, there's people in the aisle, they're coming in. If we could just spread out all the way. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying tonight something's shifting in your perspective. Something is moving in the way that you see it, that, that God's given you a revelation to go, okay, I'm going to submit in it. I'm going to stay faithful in it. I'm going to keep serving in the middle until God comes through on what God has promised me to do. Come on, lift your hands to heaven right now if that's you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're faithful. God, I pray for every person. I don't know the struggle, but you do. I don't know what keeps them up at night, but you do. I don't know what causes the tears to flow down their face, but you do. And God, tonight, we're believing for breakthrough. God, we're believing that the moment like Joseph, where Pharaoh called him up is coming. But until it does, I pray for a, a can't quit spirit on the inside. I pray for a staying faithful. God, let, let faith rise up right now. I pray for every person. Let their spine stiffen. Let their head be held high and say, God, I'll submit in the middle. I'll stay faithful in the middle and I'll serve in the middle of it, believing that you are working all things together for my good and for your glory. Come on, let's lift this up, church. Come on, open your mouth and declare this.